What is up, podcast world? This is Josh Trent. You made it to the Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, this may or may not be a perfect place for you to start. If you wanna hear myself as a guest on a podcast, stick around. This will be an incredible episode for you to digest and take home some practical wisdom for you to have better mental, physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual wellness in your life. If you're looking for a guest episode, go to our Tuesday podcast. If you wanna get direct wisdom from me, there's solo casts every Thursday, but this is a rebroadcast from my buddy and fellow podcaster, Sam Kabert. We're gonna talk about the aspects of wellness, the wellness Pentagon, ego and shadow work, and a lot of different aspects about, I think, what all of us are looking forward to letting go of in 2023. And that is what doesn't serve us. What doesn't serve you? The podcast is called Soul Seeker. This is a place that Sam guides people to a journey of remembering, remembering themselves, remembering the truth about who they are. I think you're really going to love this episode. Make sure you give him a like on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The podcast is Soul Seeker, S-E-E-K-R. And we'll link it in the show notes as well. If you love this podcast, leave us a review, joshtrend.com forward slash review. Every single month, we give away $150 plus of wellness prizes from everyone that we choose from the group that leaves us a review. So head over to joshtrent.com forward slash review if you want some free wellness prizes delivered right to your door. Now let's tune in with Soul Seeker, Sam Kabert, for this special rebroadcast of myself as a guest. All right, Josh Trent, we have you on the podcast. I'm so stoked to dive into all the things with you, brother, specifically fatherhood, breath work, really balancing it all. And maybe we'll get into some of the other things as well, because I know you have so many amazing things that you're passionate about. Personally, I recently went through a breathwork facilitator training course, and I just signed up for yours as well to just continue my education. And I'm so pumped to have you here. Josh, welcome to the Soul Seeker podcast. Well, Sam, dude, welcome to my world. If I can breathe, I can choose. And thank you for choosing me to be on your show, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate taking the time. So let's go ahead and just dive in here. Uh, recently, I heard you on Aubrey Marcus's podcast talking about fire, fatherhood, firehood. Look what it kind of is. Firehood. You should leave that in. It's fire. It's firehood. Yeah, that, <laughs> it Freudian is. Slip. Yeah. So tell us about it because you became a dad. I think in the past year, I forget exactly how old your son is, but talk with us a little bit how your world has changed. Just everything from emotionally, how you manage your time, your business, just everything. Let's get straight to it. Well, the initiation of fatherhood is easy to talk about once you're a father, but hard to understand when you're not. And I'll say that with compassion too, because when I was single and I heard people being, you know, becoming parents, I would always say. Oh, okay. I guess that's just like a whole different world. I don't really understand that world. I guess I could see how that would be hard, but you never have the experiential learning as you do when you actually go through the fire and the gauntlet yourself. So it's similar to the scene in the movie with Kurt Russell, Stargate, where there was the portal and you go through the portal and on the other side of the portal, gravity, air, characters, uh, energy is completely different. And so becoming a father or becoming a mother for that sense, but we'll talk about fatherhood right now. Becoming a father is from my 42 years of life. I can honestly say, looking back, the most challenging and the most rewarding thing at the exact same time. So a true yin yang, a true snake eating its tail, a true dark light, a true contrast, a true vacuum created by the universe to show me through contrast of pain and suffering, how beautiful God's love truly is. And when I say God's love, I don't mean like a bearded homie in the sky. Right. What I mean is like the omnipresent energy that created my son, you and I, the people with us and all things. So it was a reconnection to that part of God's love that I hadn't had for quite some time. That's probably the biggest takeaway from being a father so far. Not to mention how to handle sleep deprivation because that <laughs> shit's real. <laughs> that for shit sure. is real, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing all that. And it sounds extremely heart opening, extremely emotional and just experiencing it all. And I know you're someone who has been doing deep work for quite some time. So um, 
how how has that shifted? Because it sounds like, I mean, I know I'm someone personally who like all opened my heart and it's very hard for me to feel and be mm. uh, physical touch and really receive. And there can be the smallest thing and I close my heart again. And like I mentioned to you and the listeners, uh, if you're a repeating listener, you know, that I recently moved in with my partner and am stepping into that stepdad type role with my partner's six-year-old daughter. It's mm. probably a very different experience to just like come in like that versus have the whole experience in the birth and it being your true own. So I'd love to hear from you just from like that heart point of view before, if you could rewind maybe just a couple of years ago, like what, what was it like then versus now? Let's talk about the heart. So what I heard from your question was a lot. The main thing I heard is that you have trouble still opening your heart and still living and breathing and coming from your heart. Is that true? Yes, sir. Okay. So if if we can just maybe speak from that place, the things that close the heart are the things that either are not known or they're in a blind spot and they're not even known they're not known. So if you look at the model of competence, right? The, the unconscious competence that we all don't even know we don't know, then there's conscious incompetence where we, we know we don't know and so on and so forth. We keep moving up the ladder until we get to unconscious competence where we know something so well that we don't even know why we know it. We just know it through experience. Mm -hmm. So I can answer your question about the heart or the chakra, the, the anahata, if you look at the meridian system in the body, or if you uh, study Chinese medicine, or if you look at the different aspects in India and the way that they love the energetic systems and how they describe the energetic systems, or if you look at us here in the West, Sam, where we talk about it as energy, there's certain things that only can flow when there's no barricades for them to be blocked, just like water in a stream. Think of it like when I was single, I had a big rushing river, lots of hormones, youth, lots of freshness, not as much responsibility, a lighter load. So my channel that my water or my chi, my energy could flow through was very, very forceful. It had a lot of force to it. Hence why I used to have a podcast called Wellness Force, which I later went through a death and rebirth. And now the podcast is called Wellness and Wisdom. So long story short, to answer your question, when we have a lot of water, when we have a lot of chi, God tends to bring us barricades. Spirit brings us these barricades so that the energy inside of us can be met and, and honestly stopped by those barricades. And those barricades aren't always the most easiest thing to hurdle. I'm sure you can relate to this or anybody can. So when I was like in my late 20s, early 30s, compared to my late 30s, early 40s, I had a, a rushing river and the barricades were strong. Flash forward to me now being you know, in my 40s, I still have that rushing river. Maybe my hormones and um, my biomarkers are not equal in strength or equal in veracity as they were in my late 20s, early 30s. But I will share with you that by opening my heart, that rushing river, those barricades have shortened. They're replaced by new barricades, but they don't come as often and they don't really appear as large. So that's a very philosophical answer I gave you. It's a very metaphorical answer I gave you. But if your life force, if my life force are water, which is what we put into the center of our new logo for the podcast, which is an upside down triangle and water is very feminine, which is my learning curve here on planet earth and possibly yours, because we started this question by you admitting to your audience that you still struggle with opening your heart. And I believe you can really only open your heart if you have full access, full capacity dominion over understanding with your, your femininity as a man. And so really to round it out, I could say that as that rushing river flows, God brings us these unique experiences to challenge our energy flow, to make us stop, pay attention. And then when the lesson is learned, the barricade is removed. And so that water can flow again. And we can have that feeling of freedom, that feeling of expression, that feeling of connection and openness with one another. But we can't have that if we ignore the barricade and try to push our water on the shore. So most people, they, they look at the barricade as an obstacle, not of growth, but of pain. And they're only seeing it through the lens of pain. But if they can look at the lens of pain being the teacher, 
then the teacher can remove the obstacle once the lesson is learned. And then the water can flow straight ahead, which is exactly what it was designed to do. And by the way, another metaphor, if the water goes sideways, that's what creates disconnection. That's what creates disease. That's when paddling upstream feels so much harder. So if we can just like relax into the fact that we're all wounded, we're all, we've all been hurt. We all go through these barricades, but some of us choose to try to go around them. And as you know, not to wax poetic, but like the most overused phrase in the spiritual world is the only way out is through. But there's so much truth in that platitude, because if you can actually go through the barricade and learn the lesson and grow in your own psyche, then the only thing that's left is an open heart. There's nothing else left. You can't do anything at all once you've learned the lesson and been humble to God and surrendered to whatever the moment is calling for. The only thing left is feminine. The only thing left is flow. And then, of course, if you're balanced, which maybe we can talk about, then you have the masculine capacity to hold it. Oh, man, that's fire. Thank you. Speaking of water, there's another element, but thank you. That's so much more than I expected. And what comes up for me is men's work. You know, I mentioned briefly before this that I facilitate men's groups here locally. And one thing that my style with men's work is really softening. For a while, I would call myself a recovering bro, very much more on like that meathead style of the out of balance <laughs> masculine. And yeah. I'm not someone who resonates with the rah and all the the tough stuff with with men's work. I, I've, I've been looking for things myself on how I can soften and lean into my own femininity. And it's funny because even this morning we had a Akashic Records call, my partner and I, and she mentioned how uh, my partner is the yang or yang and I'm the yin. And we've been saying that forever. So it was just mm -hmm. funny to hear that from her and also kind of like, the role switch because if we look at it from like just a strictly 3d genitalia perspective and using like not really being on the path of soul development we hear archetypal energy of masculine and feminine and most people would equate that to the genitalia so it's kind of weird to have the yin which is usually equated to the archetypal energy of the yin uh, or feminine, I should say. And that's what I feel like I'm actually more connected with being on this path in the past few years. So I would say to you in terms of uh, mentioning that I might be on a similar path of you of learning this lesson in this incarnation, I would say, yes, absolutely. With that yeah. question comes back to men's work. And I just love to hear you relate this back to men's work and the archetypal energies of masculine and feminine and kind of like wh whatever comes up for you. Well, I mean, you just opened up a massive cauldron. Uh, there, that is an entire show. What you just talked about. So, sure, I'll I'll do my best. But we could probably go into three stages. So, just bear with me here for the people that are with us, because at first audible, when you hear the word masculine, you might always think man, and that's not true. When you hear the word feminine, you might always think woman, and that's not true either. Now. Whether you go 30,000 feet, so let's start at 30,000 feet, or you go five inches from the ground, you will find the same layers of truth. So if I go 30,000 feet in the sky and I look down and I see a container that holds water, and we'll use that shoreline analogy again, right? So if I have two shorelines of a river and the earth is holding and directing the water in that river, then the water is feminine and the earth is masculine. But people think of the earth as feminine mother earth and that's true but guess what inside of mother earth is aspects of radically strong powerful masculine so people like to go back and forth and and talk about oh when she's in her feminine i've heard people say that it's like what the fuck are you even talking about when she's in her feminine like yes she's going to be in her feminine sometimes but sometimes she's going to be in her masculine. So is it really when she's, quote, too much in her feminine or too much in her masculine? It depends on the desired outcome. Because I, as I understand my own feminine energy and as I answer your question, the one thing I will say is that the only dictator of where you want to be or where you, quote, should be in your masculine and feminine is dictated on the results that are around you. So in other words, if you're in a relationship and the woman is hardcore masculine and the man is hardcore feminine, has, has a proclivity there, and that's what creates the polarity, and that works, and that truly works, depending on their upbringing, their process trauma, their life paths, great. There ain't nothing wrong with that. I would say that that's probably less than normal. That's, that's probably like 
if I had to guess, within the 10% of relationships that work like that. I would assume, based on my own experience, from all the interviews, from talking with the most powerful masters in the world when it comes to relationships, and even looking way back at the Tao or looking forward into transhumanism, everyone is trying to find the same thing. Everyone is trying to find this homeostasis where they feel loved, where they feel at peace, and where they feel like they can express themselves. And the only way we can find that in this world is if we go 30,000 feet in the sky and look, is that actually working? Is the water flowing through the river? Now let's go 10,000 feet. Okay, now I can see the water. I can see where the water's leaking. And where the water's leaking, that means the shoreline is weak. The shoreline can't contain and hold the water. So that might be a good opportunity for me to actually work on my masculinity, to work on my ability and my capacity to hold the feminine energy that can be so intense at times, to work on my ability to be non-responsive or non-reactive, non-reactive to stimuli that is stressful and be responsible or, or response-able instead. And so then it's really, am I in the right forest am i with the right woman do i is the intensity of the water that's flowing and my adaptability as a man to change my shoreline is that something that my soul says is right is that something that her soul says is right now we can go down from 10,000 feet now we can go down to 5 inches we can go down to the to the dirt and we can just be in the dirt right now and when you look up and when you take stock of your life as a man or your life as a woman, and I know people um, identify as whatever they want to identify. That's kind of a separate conversation. I believe that that there, the dysphoria exists for a reason. It's because we're not following the laws of nature. We're not honoring the laws of true polarity. That's a whole separate conversation. So I don't want to weave that too much in here. But I do believe that there is two poles in the earth. There's the north and the south. And there's two poles in a battery. There's a positive and negative. Otherwise, energy could not flow. When you try to take something that has a positive and negative pole, which is polarity, and you take that and attach that to a dysphoric lens where a man is a woman and a woman is a man and a boy isn't a boy and a girl and a girl, you, you see what's happening here, Sam, is that we're taking the law of nature, the universal law of nature, and we are really um, looking at it through a lens that is not universal anymore. We're looking at it through a lens of the ego that we outsmart nature so much and that we as these beings on planet earth that are very technical and we, and we use our minds and we're going to quote, outthink God and outthink nature. And somehow we're going to have a campaign in the media that glorifies the mental health issues that are around gender dysphoria and these little kids that are going through what they're going through. I mean, it makes me sick to my stomach. But instead of focusing on that, what I focus on with you right now is shining light on the darkness, which we just did. We don't have to spend a bunch of time there because all we have to do is shine light on it. And then once we've shined the light on the darkness, the darkness doesn't have hold over us anymore. Then we can start focusing on the universal laws of nature. And the universal laws of nature always state that the Tao or the energy always seeks the low, right? Positive energy in a battery or in a circuit always seeks the ground, grounding. Mm -hmm. So now we've went 30, 10, and five inches. We're five inches from the earth. And the the ultimate answer that I could give you about this masculine and feminine and, and what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? The, the quotient is it depends on what result you're looking for. If you're a man that identifies more as a masculine container where you're about completion, you're about penetration, you're about space, you're about hitting potential, well, then yeah, you're going to have a, procliv a proclivity to go towards that masculine side, but you also are going to have to access and really embody the aspects of feminine, which is expansion, exploration, darkness, death, right? Going into the blackness inside of our soul, going into the, the darkness of these emotions that the masculine is very afraid of because the masculine has not been taught how to handle these emotions. The masculine has been taught how to handle the line and how to hold the line. And so there's a lot here. There's many layers, as you can see, to this conversation. There's no way that the question you asked me could be answered in like a short amount of time. And I did my very best to go like 30,000, 10,000, and five inches to just unpack some of the tip of the iceberg on this conversation, truly of polarity. That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's perfect. And for me, it was more just kind of bringing up the topic than actually a specific question, because clearly it wasn't really a specific question, just bringing up the topic. And I appreciate what you had to say about the darkness as well and the media glorifying and all, all of us as humans 
do yes. what humans do, wanting to play God, essentially thinking that we are in control. And for That's me, right. like thinking like if you're on the path of soul development, which anyone listening to a podcast called Soul Seeker, A Journey of Remembering, I would <laughs> imagine. Probably care. Yeah, you, you probably would resonate with it, all of this and understand like that we are not in control. And the name of the game mm -hmm. oftentimes is how much can we soften so much so that we surrender to realizing that we're not in control. And um, yeah, so I, I totally hear what you're saying. That's not something that I'm per se passionate about. I will bring up though that I did notice you recently had Paul Levy on your podcast, uh, the author of Dispelling with Tico. Yes. And, He's, he wrote a few other books. I interviewed him a couple of years ago. He's incredible. And for anyone that's not f familiar with Watiko, basically it's the collective mind virus that we're under. And you could look at the media and the conditioning and programming. That's one way, or in my opinion, at least you could look at kind of deeper and get into the whole conversation of reptilians and arch archons and all this type of stuff. And you, that's, you, could, you have to wear a tinfoil hat if you go that deep, Sam. You got to go way, way. And those, all, those are all things that could be true, dude. But I feel like one could get lost in that. And it's more important to like stay here on the 3D until God or we get some kind of breadcrumb that directs us to the 4 and 5D and higher. Otherwise, we could just trip out on like our reptilians running the world, which they Dude, might be. Agreed. Might agreed. Be. And that's my point because, like, when COVID started, I went down the conspiracy, like, quote unquote. I think a lot of us did. Yeah, a, a lot, lot of us did. did, right? And I noticed after a few months how depressed I was feeling and then, and also shameful that, like, hey, if I believe some of this stuff, and I don't know if I believe all of it, but a lot of it resonates as true, then yeah. I feel a, a personal responsibility to do something. And now I'm shaming myself. And it was a whole process of unwinding and realize, hey, that's not mine. And other people, sure, that might be their path to do things there, but we all have our different paths. So I, I do feel like it is an important thing to be mindful of because it can be very hard to discern when we're looking down, quote unquote, conspiracy or thought manipulation, whatever you want to call it, and realize what are we supposed to do with that, you know? Yeah, the the thought manipulation is interesting. There was a book that I came across a couple of years ago, and um, it was it was something that Wallace Waddles actually learned from. And I know the title is going to come to me while I'm talking about it, but it was about thought forms and these thought forms that are contagious. Which, if you look at the research around emotional contagion, a good resource point for that is Gretchen Rubin's work. She wrote about um, the four tendencies. So thought contagion, emotional contagion are real. And the dark energies that have been here since day one, right? If you look at the Bible, if you look at the Quran, if you look at any religious text ever that was ever recorded, there has always been some talk of dark and light, right? Would you agree that in most text, there is always the talk, even if it's a text about singularity, that inside of the singularity, there is always dark and light. Would you say that's true? 100%. So if that's true, and we all are in a shared reality that there is dark and light, how could we ever ignore in any way that Watiko energy or mind virus energy could be possible? I don't think anybody could argue about it. So if it's, if it's possible, then what would be just from, a, from like a Socratic lens, what would be a way that we could figure out if we are experiencing either individually or collectively the trappings or, or what's showing up as pieces that would be connected to Watiko being present. In other words, what are the clues that Watiko is showing us that it's here that we can just take an honest inventory of right now? Mm -hmm. I would say the first thing is this belief that you and I are completely separate and that you want to hurt me and I want to hurt you and that nothing that you have is good and that nothing that I have is good. And fuck you. It's about taking care of my family and making sure my pantry stocked and your pantry is whatever. I don't care. <laughs> That's the very first thing that we have to get off the table because Watiko feeds on that. And for people that don't know this Watiko energy, like if you look at um, Hawaiian shamanism, if you look at Christianity, if you look at mysticism, like it's all connected here for us. So the, the lesson, the universal lesson, because earlier I was talking about nature, right? Like the laws of nature, gravity, water, shoreline, masculine, feminine, these things that everybody to some degree has an objective truth agreement about. Well, if, if you look at what we're talking about with dark energy, everyone has felt dark energy in themselves. I know I have. You and I have both had thoughts. All, all human beings at some point in their life will have a thought of killing another human. Now, it's just a thought. 
It doesn't mean that you should ever, ever, ever take action on that unless you're defending yourself or your family, right? If somebody's, if somebody has the Witiko and they're so dark inside themselves, sometimes the, the most powerful thing that love can do is to kill. Sometimes the most powerful thing that love can do is to go to war, be violent or protect. I'm not saying that that should be the first choice, but you know, I digress a little bit. So if, if that darkness is inside of me, if that darkness is inside of you, because we've felt it, we've felt our own malevolence. We felt our own disdain, our hatred for ourselves and others. We felt our own disgust with the way that the economic system has been torturing generations for us to even be here. We felt how things are not working. We live in the devil's playground. And so if all of those things could potentially be true, and I'm not saying that they are, I'm just saying that I think universally we've all touched those at times. So why wouldn't they be true? But if they were true, and if we were using the Socratic method, what would it look like outside of us if inside of us we were dark and we were hating and we were disconnected from the truth? Well, it would look just like lots of wars, the majority of the wealth in the entire planet and the abundance being owned by less than 1% of 1% of people. It would probably look like children starving and dying. It would probably look like people being tortured. It would probably look like trafficking of children for sex. It would probably look like media mass control of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter monetizing our discontent with ourselves. And it would probably look like people getting traumatized from all the generations that led us to this moment and then either having the courage to do a ceremony, either psychedelic breath, emotional inventory, something to throw up all the nastiness, all the trauma, all the insanity that we've all been getting drunk on for so long and bow to God and ask for forgiveness for self, for all of us, for this planet, because that's the only way out. And that's the only way through. I love that. Thank you so much. And just so many pearls of wisdom. So it makes sense why you you rebranded your podcast to wellness and wisdom. Uh, that really seems very appropriate. You've definitely studied just anyone listening can tell that you've gone so many different ways. And I'd love, I want to get back to this thread, but just real quick, I have a question about just what you've studied over the years, because I, it's not like I really know everything about you or anything like that. And I'm just <laughs> curious, like, I'm I don't know everything about me either. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you mentioned in your breathwork course that you might have done like five or six different breathwork trainings and perhaps yeah. maybe. Yeah. So I'd love to hear just like mention Chinese medicine, all kinds of different things. What are some of the areas you've studied? All right. So the greatest impact for me has been the experiential in the trenches, feet on the ground learning. Of course, like, you know, diving into the work of many different people, reading about young reading about Gillette and Moore from King Moore, Magician Lover, um, reading uh, about David Data's work and Wade the Superior Man, um, mm -hmm. having men's groups that I've either led or been a part of since 2015, doing many different psychedelic ceremonies, doing many breathwork catharsis ceremonies, being in them, leading them, facilitating them. But honestly, it wasn't until 2018 that I chose to go to Thailand and do a 30-day deep dive and learn about what does it feel in my nervous system, in my heart, and in my soul when for an entire month, every single day, all I focus on is my breathing. And not just the breathing of my meditation, of my wellness, but of my catharsis as well. Catharsis meaning what is something that my system in some way is wanting to release. And so it wasn't until the end of 2018 that I really started to dive as deep as I possibly could into breath work. And then it wasn't until 2019 that I started to really go deeper into going around the world. I had traveled a little bit before. I'd done some trainings with Mark Devine and Anahata Ananda and, and Dan Brule. And I did an intensive in Sedona with Gwen Payne. And, and those teachers really helped me because they all had massive, massive experience, right? And so the greatest way for us to learn and how I've learned is to hang out with people that are that are your elder, like a true elder, somebody who's gone through their own dark nights of the soul, somebody that's gone through their own emotional inventory, and someone that has a unique skill or practice or wisdom to share with the world. And so each one of those people I talked about, they all had massive wisdom. And since 2016, I had kind of dabbled, but I would say dabbled. And it wasn't until 2018 where I really said, okay, I'm going to take this as deep as I can go because 
there's a space in my heart and also there's a space in my body that does not want to go through these insane psychedelic ceremonies anymore. Right. Right. I've talked about this before on many podcasts, but like psychedelics are a double-edged sword. You can cut through your trauma. You also can traumatize yourself. And so we have to be really careful of that as we go throughout our process. And that was definitely the case for me um, one time in particular that, that honestly allowed me to feel the DMT in my lungs and to create the Breathe Breath and Wellness program, which you became part of. So I'm so excited, you know, to learn about well, what works for you and and what are the things inside of you that are wanting to be expressed. And it's the same thing that I've been learning too. And, and that's what we're all doing in the world. We're all kind of hunting and gathering for the things that are going to release us from the trauma from the earlier question you had. Right. And we have to also be cautious about what are the things that we're gathering, what are the cathartic tools that we're using to clean us, to, to purify us. And, and there's a balance there, right? And the last thing I'll say is, is, is if we don't honor the pace of nature, we're trying to heal too fast. We're trying to do too many ceremonies. We're working too hard. The water goes sideways in the river. The feminine energy that's, that's exploring and the, the masculine earth that's holding that, that feminine water. If we go to ceremony too much, if we think that all the answers are in a ceremony, of any kind, by the way, the greatest ceremony we could ever live is you and I talking and you and I living. That's the greatest ceremony that our lives will ever experience. But we trick ourselves to think that if an if a um, emotionally intensive situation, like a psychedelic ceremony or even a breathwork ceremony, these things, they feel so intense because there's such a catharsis to them. We can get trapped in the ego and we can start running back to these ceremonies over and over and over again. And we actually skip the real work that's here. That's you and I right now living our lives outside of the quote ceremony. That's the real ceremony. Oh man, feel it all. I feel it all so much. And I could ask you a million questions about plant medicine that if this was a year ago, I probably would have. And I probably would have taken this a totally different place because that's where I was at. I wouldn't say I I was totally chasing ceremony to ceremony. I definitely have always been very outspoken and passionate about integration, but at the same time, I was going to a lot of ceremonies and then it was really through the book writing process and releasing my book earlier this year, Soul Life Balance, a guide to igniting spiritual awakenings. There's just something to be said about grounding into the 3D because oftentimes when we are awakening, we just want to lift up. And what I'd like to know from you is why breath work? Because that's something that I'm very passionate as well. And you are so knowledgeable about breath work and you've experienced a lot of different modalities. If you could just speak to the listeners why you're so passionate about breath work, that would be great. Hey, it's Josh. And I get to talk to you right now about something really close to my heart. And that is synergy stacking for stress. A lot of people, myself included, have very full lives. If you're one of these people that has incredibly full levels of responsibility, there is a quick practice you can do where you can stack breath work and cannabidiol or full spectrum CBD together. I like to use Cured. It is my go-to brand. I've been in the game for many, many years now, and I've had a lot of CBD brands come and go. And this brand is hands down my absolute favorite. It's actually the only brand that I stand next to in the entire cannabidiol or CBD industry, which, you know, can be kind of the wild, wild west. Everybody says ours is the best, but this brand truly is the best. I take some of the full strength. I put it under my tongue. I hold it there for 60 seconds and I do what's called circular breathing. I inhale through my nose. I exhale through my nose and I gently swallow after 60 seconds this incredible, I call it plant medicine, this incredible plant medicine so that I'm continuously breathing in the relaxation of all the terpenes and all the rich flavonoids and all the healing power that happens with my enteric nervous system and my endocannabinoid system. We are all deficient in these compounds. It's something that you can get very easily by heading over to joshtrent.com forward slash cured. Make sure you use the code wellnessforce. You get 20% off the full spectrum, the CBN, the day, the night, all the products, joshtrent.com forward slash cured. Use the code wellnessforce. You get 20% off. I want to challenge you to do this practice twice. Do it twice. Take a full dropper of the full strength 
for 60 seconds, hold it, continuously breathe in and breathe out full deep circular breaths through your nose. I promise you it'll make a difference. If you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you have rumination or just looping thoughts, or if you just need to relax, give this a breath, give this a test. JoshTrend.com forward slash cured. Use the code wellnessforce to get 20% off this stress busting, my favorite full spectrum CBD. Pair it with breath work. So when you heard me breathe, what you didn't see was all the hundreds of thousands of reactions that were going on in my body. When we breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, otherwise known as a circular breath, right? Inhale, your belly rises. Exhale, your belly falls. And you breathe like a circle. What's happening is when you inhale through your nose, you actually are turning on sympathetic. When you exhale through your mouth, especially if you're making an audible sound, you turn on parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. The more that you do that, the more that you start massaging what's called cerebral spinal fluid. And we actually have four diaphragms, by the way. Most people think that we have one diaphragm. And this is in the program, Sam. So you'll learn about the four diaphragms. We have a diaphragm. An hour ago. Okay, great. So we have a diaphragm in the, in the pelvic floor. So when we tighten our, our perineum, when we tighten our bathroom muscle, we're actually helping to circulate spinal fluid up to the brain, right? And then the other three, and everybody knows about the diaphragm that's here in our stomach. We also have a diaphragm in our head. We have a diaphragm in the back of our head. So this fluid moves throughout our entire body and it moves from all the way of the base of the pelvis all the way to the back of the skull. And so when we breathe, we're not just massaging and recirculating energy. We're helping to detoxify and purify the field that we're in. Mm -hmm. Like right now, if you and I, we're not going to, but if you and I did 30 of these, and if you're watching on video, you notice my shoulders didn't go up and down. I was just breathing through my belly. If we did 30 belly breaths in through the nose, belly rises, exhale through the mouth, belly falls. There is no way that be somewhere between 20 and 30 breaths that your mind is going to be thinking out, thinking about tomorrow or, or ruminating on the past. On the past, this is not going to happen. Your mm-hmm. mind stays in the current moment when the mind is getting uh, CSRF fluid circulated inside of it. So when we get that fluid, we're getting a cleaning. When we get that fluid, we're getting a massage. When we choose to breathe like a circle, we're actually bringing energy and life force back into us. Right? Box breathing is different. We can talk about that. But when you're breathing like a circle you're recharging yourself. You're actually, you're actually bringing air kind of up and in. I know it's down through the, through the stomach and how we teach in the program, but you're bringing energy up, right? A lot of times when we get tired in life or when we get depressed or when we're dealing with emotional issues, which I'm a human, I have, and maybe I will for the rest of my life. And who knows, right? Like we all experience emotions that are very big. So what breath work and why breath work, what breath work really does is it becomes this fulcrum, this lever, Sam, that we can pull. And when I pull that lever in my autonomic or my automatic nervous system, it is a world of difference than when I don't pull the lever. So in other words, it's the only thing that's voluntary and involuntary, which is a true paradox, which has been a thread in this podcast, right? The dark, the light, the fear, the love, the up, the down, the in, the out, the voluntary, involuntary of my breathing. God and God's infinite wisdom gave us this tool, this lever we can pull so that we can go to the rest and digest. And there's also breathing practices for more energy, the alternate nostril breathing, things like that. We can turn ourselves on or we can calm ourselves down just by that lever. And that is why for me, it has been the go-to since early 2016, very heavily in 2018, 2019 and beyond. But now it's something that I do every day, multiple times throughout the day. I will lay down on the ground, put my feet on a chair and do 30 breaths. Lay down have to, real quick, lay down on the ground and put the lay feet down on, on the, the ground. Chair. So the feet are, the right. legs are elevated. So your, your calf muscles are sitting on the top of the seat cushion. Your hamstrings are touching at the base of the cushion right. and your body basically looks like a, a stair, right? Your body looks like stairs, right? You do that. You're, you're opening your lower back. You can still pull in your bathroom muscle. You can still circulate the the cerebral spinal fluid. You do that. And not only are you getting a massage and a washing, but you're also getting a catharsis of whatever stress has accumulated throughout the day. So people like to think of breath work as like this massive catharsis event. And it can be, 
But as you'll learn in the program, and w- what this is all about is like there's there's meditative breathing, there's wellness breathing, like just daily care breathing, and then there's catharsis breathing. Catharsis breathing is what you do when you really want to let go of something, right? But a lot of times, depending on how much crud people have in their system or in their mind or heart, catharsis can actually be re-traumatizing. I've seen a lot of people do breathwork ceremonies that wasn't being held in the right space. And they actually would leave the space more jacked up, more stressed out, and and unfortunately more traumatized than when they got into the space in the first place. So again, like breathwork, psychedelics, all these things, they're literally just tools. This phone, I can make millions of dollars with this phone, or I can become a, a drug addict all through this tool of the phone. So what is it really? It's the same thing in me. It's the same thing in you. If I can breathe, if I can breathe, then I can choose. If I can't breathe, there's no choice possible. And that that means I can't choose love. I can't choose safety. I can't choose expression. I can't choose connection. Mm-hmm. But if I'm breathing, I can have all those things and more, especially if I'm breathing through my belly. So that's why breath work. Oh, love it. And Breath work. So it's it's a big word and it's definitely a trending word right now and it's becoming a movement. And one thing I've been saying is Good. breath work. It's amazing. Yeah. I remember yeah. actually, this is a fun story just before I get into this. I did uh, my first breath work journey, what you're calling a cathartic breath, breath work release, basically yeah. 60, 90 minute breath work journey um, back in what was it? Spring of 2019. And then a week later, I sat with ayahuasca for the first time. And just caveat there, I felt reborn after that breath work. And it was so powerful. I considered not even going to the ayahuasca ceremony. So yeah, yeah. Um, Anyways, though, I remember because I have a company called Swagworks. This is what I've been doing for the past 12 years. I used to have back before I was on this journey, my personal brand was Swag Sam and my company's name is Swagworks. So extremely just like, you know, the whole thing. But at the time, after that IS ceremony, I remember making t-shirts and hoodies and all the things that just said, breathe. That's it. It just said, breathe. And I would just give them out to people. And what do you know, less than a year later, people wanted those sweatshirts and hoodies more more than ever because a lot of people were uh, fearful of COVID. So when they saw these uh, breathe shirts I had, they're like, hey, breathe, you know, like come back to it. Right. And it resonated with a lot of people that said, going back to the question about uh, breath work, it can be very confusing because what I'm finding is when I share with people that may not be on this same path and they say, oh yeah, I've heard of breath work. You know, it's like, well, it's a big word and it means so many different things to different people. Someone like you who has studied the breath so much and is teaching others to connect with their breath. I'm curious from your point of view, how do we talk about breath work to people that are new to breath work or just in general? This is such a great question because I've been ruminating lately on, not ruminating, I've been pontificating lately about what does breath work actually mean? And at its core, it's not about working. It, it, it sometimes is, but that's like saying that making love is always about just making love and you never have to deal with your shadows. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like breath work isn't just work with your breath. I really feel like we need a new nomenclature for breath work, you know, because in the word, right? So, so breathe, everybody knows breath what that release. is. Work, right? That's fine. That's why there's, there is a lot of, I celebrate, I celebrate the tens of thousands of practitioners that are getting involved, you know, every year, because that's kind of what the data shows. It's like tens of thousands of people are becoming practitioners. And I say, fuck yes, bring them all in because we need that. We all need to breathe more. How many Sam politicians, if they would just have a daily practice of breathing, could never do their fucking job anymore. They Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to show up. Yeah, Because when you're holding up a mask, you need tension in your muscles. And in order to have tension in your muscles, there are certain times where you have to hold your breath. Think about a squat, right? When you go down and you're loaded on the bar, you have to pack your abs. You have to hold in your, your TVA at the bottom. And then when you exhale, when you come up, then you can do another rep. Well, imagine if you tried to lift weights holding your breath the whole time. You'd pass the fuck out. Imagine if you're a politician and 
You hated what you did. You did not believe that you were telling the truth. Imagine if you were Joe Biden and you're standing up there. You ever watch Joe Biden, you'll see that he doesn't breathe very well and start doing this when you look at political figures. Mm. They take very short breaths. Most politicians, if you watch their shirt, they'll, they'll breathe like this. But no politician ever goes. They just don't do it. Yeah. Because the more you breathe, the more you have to be honest. And the more honest you are, the more you have to face where you're lying. And so I think that's really what we need to talk about when we talk about breath work. It's almost like it's breath integration is what mm. we need to call it. You know, like, what do you mean breath integration? Well, we need to take in and make it part of integration, take in and make it part of who we are, our being, our humanness. We used to breathe normally, Sam. We would never have to get coached in how to breathe, right? We would yeah. never have to get coached in how to eat or drink water or move because that's just what our lives did. But now here we are on Zoom on a computer where you and I get to talk. Um, where do you live? Santa Cruz. Santa, that's right. Santa Cruz with Jay. And, yeah. and I'm out here in Austin, but we can connect. So here it is in full duality. How beautiful is it that we get to connect with each other and other people right now about the art of the breath, about emotional intelligence, about masculine, feminine, all these things that, God, people just want some freaking clarity on mm -hmm. because there's so much bullshit out there about it from people that haven't experienced it. They haven't really led a life of experiential wisdom. So I think at the core of your question is like, what is breath work? It's really about integrating the honesty that we're either looking at or not through the lever of the breath into our nervous system to either allow us to be human and peaceful or to keep us stuck in the head and have us have disease. That's probably really what breath work really is. And I've never thought about it like that before. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, it's gold right there. And I'm going to write down that timestamp and save that. You mentioned about politicians not breathing properly and that if they were to, they'd probably leave their profession. That's something I think about a lot just in terms of awakenings, right? And yeah, when I was writing the book, Soul Life Balance, initially it was going to be geared towards workaholics and showing them that there's a different path. And really we've how we severed this connection from our higher selves or spirituality, our own divinity, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And, and an invitation back to them, which Soul Life Balance, by the way, we haven't even talked about us, but like you said, this whole podcast has been about the paradox of the light and the dark. Soul Life Balance mm -hmm. is yin, soul is yin, and life is yang, which we recategorize work under life. Whereas we can see that the collective is out of balance because work-life balance is over-dominated in the archetypal energy of the masculine and the yang. That said, the book ended up being geared towards uh, the opposite, not so much the workaholics, but what I noticed in myself and others around me is kind of this avoidance of being grounded in the 3D. So it really, in a lot of ways, is just everything on both sides, but a little mm -hmm. bit more geared to towards like people on the newer path of soul de development and letting them know how to be more grounded. Now, taking a step further, now I'm speaking to corporate about soul life balance, and I'm going back to the initial message towards workaholics. And it's a very delicate dance. It's a Trojan's horse strategy because I can't go in, you know, telling people, hey, hire me to speak. And then, you know, really, I kind of want their employees to make up their own mind, like wake up and a lot of them maybe leave. Right. But at the same time, like, I guess what I'm getting at here is, how I've been doing it when I speak to corporate is leading them through a little visualization with a little bit of box breathing. And it's always wild to me to see like the tears in their eyes and how they're coming back to themselves. And I'm starting to have discussions yeah. with these people about like my partner and I coming in and facilitating a breathwork journey. But what I'm thinking through talking with you is like, what I've been thinking is like a breathwork journey in a corporate setting just seems like going too deep. For you, what is coming up for you in terms of the type of breath work to really do for lack of a better way to put it, corporate people that may not uh, may or may not be connected to any spiritual practice at all to make it accessible? Because to your point, I wouldn't want to be someone who activates trauma. And you know, I'm always very clear going in and like what it can bring up. 
But I do think, even though I hear so much about breathwork journeys in corporate, I'm like, I feel like that's going too deep. So I'd love to hear from you what comes up. I heard a lot in your question. The the first thing that I heard is when is it proper to use certain types of box or circle or breath hold retentions when you're training people that might not have a large experience in breathing? Is that at the core of your question? Yeah, well said. <laughs> All right. So at the core of your question, I think what 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 is the right tool for the right space? And I would say like it really depends on the space. Like if let's say, for example, you went into and I've I've had this happen. I just did a I just did um probably 50 to 60 dads at this front row dad event here in Austin. And I took them through a 60-minute catharsis process, right? And when I came into the room and I knew where they were, they were at the end of an event. I was not trying to have them do these massive breath hold retentions with quick cathartic breathing, you know, like a one-one or a or a two-one pace. I chose to do a two-four pace circular breathing because I knew that probably what they needed was integration mm-hmm. and circular breath like that with some occasional pauses and and some things that I've been playing with lately called breath bridges, where I take people through, you know, 10, 20, 30 breaths together and then cue them back to the circular breathing. But you really have to read the room in order to figure that out properly. Um, and then I've also had, like, for example, at Paleo FX, where a lot of these people had never done breath work before in their lives. And so it was a smaller group, it was more intimate. And I really felt like just doing maybe more of like a two, four box for them was better because box ground circle brings up energy. Hmm. And box grounds in a good way because if you breathe in for four, you hold for four, you exhale for four, you hold for four, and you continue to do that. At some point, you're going to have to want to take one deep, massive breath, right? Right. And the reason is because when you breathe in, when you when you feel the sensation to breathe, it's because your body needs oxygen for fuel. So when I need to go like this, and the reason it feels so good is because I just breathed in oxygen, I release carbon dioxide. There's a calming effect when I release carbon dioxide. There's a, a waking up effect. Remember, I talked about earlier that. People get this mixed up all the time. When you breathe in through the nose, it's actually sympathetic. Mm-hmm. It's fight or flight when you breathe in through the nose. What happens when you see a cop and you're in the car? What do you do? Yeah, you do do that. <laughs> you breathe true. in, right? Yeah. It's because your system's stressed. Yeah. So what happens when you're about to go on stage? What happens when you're about to pris- uh, kiss kiss a pretty girl? <laughs> or if you're a girl, kiss, kiss a guy or, or however you want to kiss anyone. You, you typically have to remind yourself to breathe. And so mm-hmm. what reminds you to breathe and why were you not breathing in the first place? It's because there was some energy that was stuck inside of you. And the only antidote to stuck energy is motion. And the only way we can get motion in the body is through breath. Mm-hmm. If you held your breath, you couldn't move for too long. So what I'm saying is like, the, at, at the crux of all of this is if I'm breathing in a group, I have to feel the energy of the group. I can't just go in and and this is why I don't actually train a lot of practitioners. I train practitioners privately when they reach out to me, but I don't have a forward-facing program. It's a massive responsibility and it's a lot of work to do that. And I have my podcast as my main outlet to the world of service. I'm passionate about breath. I love breath. I do train some private practitioners. There's no certification for breathing. People make it up. There's actually no certification at all. Uh, a lot of the programs out there, I know some good people here in Austin, they make up their own certifications. There's no governing body that like NASM for personal training that doesn't exist for breath work. So you can literally not go yet. get, not yet, yeah. but also we have to be careful too, because there's a paradox there. Mm-hmm. I was a personal trainer for 10 years. NASM essentially is just a big bank. They don't really care too much about the trainers. NASM, people don't know this. NASM is a call center in Arizona. And NASM that certifies CPTs, yeah, they have some education, but they don't teach people how to market themselves. They're getting better. They're getting better. It's, this isn't like a hate session on NASM. You know, I'm sure they're improving. But we have to watch out, Sam, because a lot of these governing bodies That's that true. try to come in and govern things for quality, they end up just becoming a bank. And they just become a stamp. And then to get the stamp, you have to pay the money. I would much rather people travel the world like I did, take as many different programs as you can. Take five different programs. Yeah. Buy the Breathe program. It's cheaper than taking your girl out or your guy out for a weekend, for sure. Buy that. I can give your audience a discount code, which would be amazing. Awesome. Then go buy four other programs and do them all. And then see what resonates and leave the rest. That's how you figure out, Sam, 
what to do in corporate situations. There's nothing I could say right now that would be a, a PDF or a template you could use all the time. No way. Yeah. And that's just so, so great for life. Everything you just ended on there. I mean, we could apply that to everything. And there's a specific thread that you mentioned that now is escaping me, but it's all good. We're there was a lot out. of threads there. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Got, you ask a good question. So I'm going to, I'm going to jam on it, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. And I mean, like you said, there's so many little subtopics here that we could have made little mini series and expand in its own podcast. So unfortunately, we don't have the time for that now. But I just want to thank you, Josh, for how you show up in the world. I've uh, reconnected with your podcast recently, as I mentioned, and it is something that you know we didn't even get into, but I want to ask you about balancing it all because I've noticed since I moved in uh, to this family type of life now, like little things like podcasts and things like that, it's like, don't have time. Or that's a story. That's something I'll dive into my own. We always anyways, have time. What's that? We always have time. That's why I said it's a we story. Have Just, it. But that's awareness yeah. right there, right? It's awareness. Sure. We sure. need to be able to catch ourselves in that. Anyways, thank you so much for making the time to come on to the Soul Seeker podcast. Appreciate you so much, brother. Dude, thank you so much. What great questions. And uh, I, I do this from time to time. I don't know if you know this about my show, but I love to... Sh when, I, when I have someone like you who's like super authentic, genuine, I can tell like you're doing your work, you know, you're buying the program, you're living your life, you're, you're leaning into your edges of like the, the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial ways to nourish yourself. I occasionally like once a week will share um, a podcast that I went on and I would love to be able to share this with my audience if you're open to that. I think that would be really cool. Absolutely, Josh. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. More in words can describe. And I got full body chills and yes, held my heart open too, brother. So thank you so much. You're welcome, man. And for anybody listening, we'll just make a code for your audience that's SAM25. And that's 25% off the, the breathwork program. So it's a three-week program. Maybe after you go through it, Sam, you can share with people about what you learned and and how it applies to other programs. Like I said, if you really want to go deep into this world of breath, you're going to have to get more than one opinion. So, so buy my program, um, buy other programs, then, then make your own understanding of this. But just go to breathwork.io and use the code SAM25 and, and that'll be 25% off the program. Awesome. And that's in the show notes, guys. So be sure to check out the show notes to grab that link and all the other resources to connect with Josh and go deeper. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Soul Seeker Podcast. Bye, Soul Seekers. There is such a hype in this world about pre-workout, post-workout supplements that let's be honest, they're just full of caffeine. It's just a bunch of stimulants for you. But there is another path. It's the combination of red beet, cordyceps, and rhodiola. This is the Organifi original, the OG red juice made for energy support that I use as a pre-workout. Now it's low in sugar. It's got a sweet berry taste. It's high in antioxidants. It is a truly natural energy boost. It tastes like berry punch and it's got six different fruits red beet, rhodiola, cordyceps, reishi mushroom, freeze-dried berries, Siberian ginseng, lemon, and prebiotic powder. This is the adaptogen above all adaptogens. It's part of your ritual kit. You can get at joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Now, if you use the code wellnessforce, you get 20% off your entire shopping cart. You can get 20% off with the code wellnessforce at the Organifi website, or the quick link is joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a canister of this red juice if you're sick of these caffeine-boosted products that really just kind of crack you out. Give Organifi a shot. I think you're going to be really happy with it. It's what I take before I go into the garage and get sweaty myself. joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Use the code wellnessforce. You get 20% off. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Paleo Valley. They make the most delicious and healthy superfood bar you've ever tasted. Guaranteed, 10 organic nutrient-dense superfoods plus grass-fed bone broth protein for optimal health and boundless energy through all of life's adventures. Take your pick from the red velvet, lemon meringue, dark chocolate chip, or apple cinnamon. I absolutely love these bars and so does my family. We always have them stocked for about four big reasons. One, they're nutrient dense. Most snack food bars, especially the bars, contain little to no nutrients. Paleo Valley changed that. 
all the organic ingredients, all the 10 powerful superfoods in every single bite. Also 100% grass-fed bone broth protein. Love that, not only for cellular health, but also amino acids that protect against cardiovascular incidents. Number three, no gluten, grain, soy, or added sugar. A lot of bars contain cheap fillers like soy, corn, oats, legumes, gluten, not good stuff. And lastly, they damn taste good. <laughs> they taste great. Excuse my French. Well, not really. They taste damn good. Let's be honest. Healthy products don't have to suck. You can get these tasty mouth-watering bars. You can stock them in your pantry. You can put them in your gym bag, in your car. I pretty much always have them for Nova, my son. He's almost two years old and I put him in his go bag. He always, he actually loves the red velvet. That's his favorite. It's actually daddy's too. Pick up a bunch of these at joshtrend.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code josh at checkout. You get 15% off the red velvet, the lemon meringue, dark chocolate chip, apple cinnamon, your entire shopping cart. joshtrend.com forward slash paleo valley. Code josh saves you 15%.